Hey guys, it's Simmy and this is Wrestling Unlimited as it's Wednesday and that means tonight we're talking about AEW Dynamite and as they stated, it's a new year, it's a new Dynamite, new feel, new stage, kinda new theme song, new graphics and all that kind of stuff. As far as the show itself does go, they announced a butt ton of stuff for Rampage, for Battle of the Belts and next week's Dynamite in Los Angeles. Like for those next three shows, they announced, I have all of those on Twitter right here. They announced one, two, three, four, five things for next week, four things for battle of the belts on Friday night and four things for rampage on Friday night. And if you guys don't remember or don't know battle of the belts and rampage will both be live this Friday. Rampage will be at its normal. Actually, let me double check that. Because I think it's still 10 and 11. That's late for Battle of the Belts, though. But TNT schedule. As far as the TNT schedule does go, let's see. Friday the 6th. Click into that. Yeah. Battle of the Belts don't even start till 11 p.m. Holy crap. That's a late show. It will be live. It's not going to be like back in the day. Well, I mean, I say back in the day, but like earlier in the year or last year, technically, where they would film it on a Friday and then air it the next Saturday or the next night on Saturday. Nope. They're doing it live from the building. I want to say in Portland, Oregon, if I'm thinking correctly. I can't remember exactly. I think they're in Oregon. I know tonight they were in Seattle, Washington. But regardless, if you guys like AEW and you want some... Nothing happened in matches like Jade Cargill and Sky Blue or a no-holds-barred match the acclaimed defending the tag titles against Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal. Well, you can watch that on Friday. Also, no, whoa, my graphics are wrong. Hold on. Let me double-check something here on Twit uh, Twitter really fast. May have uploaded the same thing twice. Let me double-check. Let's see. Um. Okay, so only three things has been announced for Battle of the Belts, but I put one of the graphics in the tweet twice by accident. Oh, well, it happens. But with that, as far as tonight's show goes, that was an all right show. I mean, I thought it was better than good, but I wouldn't say it was like a great show or anything. Since Saturday says, yes, they're going to be in Portland, Oregon. Gotcha, gotcha. But I thought, you know, as I stated, they built up a lot of stuff. Here's my question. We'll talk about it more later. But is are they really going to go full circle and Red Velvet be the one to take the title off of Jade? We'll talk about that later because that actually would be what, you know, long-term storytelling if that was ever the actual plan or if maybe something they've just lucked into. But we'll talk about that when we get to that match later on. Luke, what did you think of Dynamite? Honestly, I thought tonight's Dynamite, it was a very productive Dynamite. They announced a lot of stuff for next week. They announced <laughs> a lot of stuff for Rampage, Battle of the Belts. We also got our first match for Revolution, I believe. Technically, yes, the Iron Man, an hour-long Iron Man match. And trust me, I'm going to talk about them dragging this MJF Danielson stuff out for two months. Are you freaking kidding me? We'll get to that later, but, oh. And they, they did the CM Punk and MJF thing for like a couple months. They started <laughs> that in November and ended it in March. But didn't they have at least like two different matches, if I'm Thinking correctly, maybe not. They had one different match, and 
MJF won, then Punk said, let's do a rematch, but let's do a dog collar match. Right. But here's the thing. They're not doing any match between the two until the pay-per-view. It's just a bunch of, you got to beat my people before you can. Like, why are you fucking kidding me? Let me see. Darby, not Darby, MJF faced CM Punk twice. Once in March, February, and once in March. They had the singles match on February 2nd. They had the dog collar match March 6th. So really, that's not bad. You do three or four weeks to build up to one match, three weeks-ish to build up to the second match, and then you're good. But they're going two months before these two are even going to have a match. I mean, maybe we get a tag match before because we know the the labors or whatever is going to be over by February 8th. But it's like, come on. You're going you're gonna to wait two months? Does MJF really just not want to work that much? How many times did we see like Moxley defending his title on Dynamite between pay-per-views? Jericho defending titles on Dynamite between pay-per-views. It's like, come on. Is MGF really that much of a fucking lazy ass that he doesn't want to work? It could just be storyline and stuff. Mm. I get that, but it's like they've kind of... How do I say this? They've kind of already kind um they've kind of already like made it a point to be like, hey, you're not just getting world title matches on pay-per-view three, four times a year. No, we'll scatter them throughout the year on dynamites and stuff as well. But now it looks like they're not gonna do that with MJ. I don't know. We'll see. He did defend it that one time a couple weeks ago against Ricky Starks, but it's like, that's it. That's really it. And they made it a big deal, and it wasn't. I mean, it was kind of because the match was pretty good. But, eh. <clears throat> With that, we're going to talk about Dynamite. But I want to say thank you if you are watching live. Twitch.tv forward slash PWUnlimited. Or if you're watching or listening later, whether that's YouTube.com forward slash Pro Wrestling Unlimited. Or podcast services all around the globe like Stitcher, Spotify, Google Pod, Apple Pod, Anchor, iHeartRadio, and so much more. Remember, if you are watching live, you can help us out a couple of different ways. You can either help us out by hitting that donate button down below or by donating Twitch bits in the live chat. Also, remember, you can help us out by subscribing to the channel one of two different ways. You can either subscribe just like Cold Cuts KC just did for two years straight with a tier one subscription. Excuse me. Or you could subscribe. Just like, um, let's see, just like, um, a bunch of people have, uh, Max Puma subscribed recently with a Amazon Prime Prime Gaming subscription. Because remember, if you got Prime Gaming or access to somebody else's Prime account, then you can subscribe for free and get a lot of cool things for yourself, like free video games. And free stuff for video games. I know right now you can get Dishonored 2, I believe it is. You can also get The Evil Within 2. Those are all free right now through Amazon and Prime Gaming. But you take that Amazon account, you take that Twitch account, you link them together, bada bing, bada boom, you're Prime Gaming. Remember, over on YouTube, you can help us out over there by becoming a channel member. As a channel member, you get early access to news, early access podcast episodes, early access to non-news videos, and so much more. Also remember, 
that you can subscribe at patreon.com forward slash PWUnlimited. And finally, head over to the Epic Game Store. Head over to the Epic Game Store and buy something. Whether you're buying a new game, whether you're buying an old game, whether you're claiming one of the free games, they're getting bucks for Rocket League, Fortnite, Fall Guys, or Rumbleverse. Use our code right down here, PWUnlimited, at checkout, and you will be supporting us at no extra cost. Now, before we talk Dynamite, we got a question. Did you watch any and how much of Wrestle Kingdom did you see? Uh, I fell asleep after the Kyrie <laughs> match. Gotcha. It well, was like, it, it was 3 a.m. Oh, no, like, I don't blame you. I, gotta go to bed. I don't blame you. I gotta go to bed. Now, I will say for anybody like Luke that didn't see the second half of the show, you need, and I'm not just saying you should, you need to go watch Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay. That match was Oh my God. Phenomenal. That match was amazing. I thought Will Ospreay was killed about three or four times during this match. Like once when they were on the top rope and he just took a DDT from the top. Like, holy crap. And Will Ospreay busted open. They're fucking blowing holes through tables and stuff. That match was so good. And then they shocked the world. Possibly. I don't know. At least they shocked me by putting the IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship on Kenny Omega. I didn't expect that at all. I did not expect Kenny Omega to win the belt. But they did it. He won the belt. There was also a really, really crazy spot where I don't know how they pulled this one off. They're on like the middle rope, I think it was. I don't think they were all the way on the top, but they were on like the middle rope. Kenny had Will Ospreay on his shoulders for a one-winged angel. Osprey reverses it, kind of. So I think, oh, he's going to go for like a poison run off the middle ropes. We see this all the time in New Japan with like Naito and Ibushi and stuff. But instead, he like jumps off the shoulders of Omega. Omega catches him in front of him, German suplex off the ropes. I'm like, holy crap. And it was a smoother than smooth German suplex off these. Like this match was, holy crap, good. Uh, Champ2297 says, the four-way junior heavyweight title match was great too. Yes, that was also a really fun match. But you can't compare it. I'm going to say it right now. You can't compare it. This Will Ospreay-Kenny Omega match was something unlike we've ever seen before. At least I've ever seen before as far as quality does go. Like this was, I'm going to say it right now, Will Ospreay may be the best person that's ever sold in professional wrestling because you thought multiple times this man was either dead or just couldn't walk. Like, I've never seen someone sell a leg injury so well as far as making you think they can't climb the ropes. I thought he legit was slipping on the ropes, but he wasn't. He was selling and just doing a really good job of trying to climb up the second rope and slipping right off and making it look as real as you can. So if anybody hasn't gone back and seen that match yet, I've already watched it twice, just saying, but go watch Kenny Omega. Go watch Will Ospreay. It went just short of, I want to say, 35 minutes. Because there's a portion in the match where the announcers, the the ring announcer tells you like every, I think, 10 minutes how long they've gone. And he says something about 30 minutes. And you can't really tell because they're saying it in Japanese. And the announcers go, oh, wow, we've really just hit the 30 minute. Like they're shocked because it didn't feel like 30 minutes at that point. And I'm not saying it because like they were going bing, bang, boom, super fast, like quick paced. It's just like this match was just on all levels amazing. As far as tonight's show does go, 
We had Excalibur introduce us to the show along with Tony Schiavone and Taz. As Chris Jericho's music would hit, he came down for his match with Ricky Starks. He only had, which is interesting, only had Angela Parker and Matt Menard with him. No Sammy, no Anna J, no Time Mello, no Jake Hager, and no Jake Hager's purple hat. So interesting that none of them were out there. But after trying to show each other up early on, trying to hit moves and whatnot, encounters and this and that, Jericho fired up on Starks. He took a brief little advantage here before they fell to the outside. They wrestled on the outside for just barely before they got back, uh, before getting back in. Jericho took over with a corner clothesline and shoved referee Aubrey Edwards in the process. Starks fought back with a rope walk, clubbing blow, but Menard tripped him. And Jericho missed a springboard dropkick, and both men ended up on the apron where Jericho hit a suplex to the floor. Jericho controlled the entire commercial break until Starks fired up out of a corner lariat. Starks then started to string some offense together a little bit, and the crowd was really getting behind him before he hit a sit-out Liger bomb for a two. Jericho responded with a lion salt attempt, but Starks got the knees up. Starks tried a moonsault off the second rope and missed with a uh, planted code breaker. Starks then blocked the Judas effect as Jericho blocked a Rochambeau and sank in the walls to Jericho. As Starks grabbed the ropes, though, Angelo Parker distracted the referee and Menard hit Starks with a baseball bat. Uh, Aubrey Edwards then dropped the arm twice, and before she could drop it a third time, Starks hoked it back up, and he escaped from the hold. Starks got a close inside cradle near fall, followed by a swinging DDT off the ropes. Menard and Parker got dropped on the apron as Jericho was dropped by a spear to give Starks the victory. So yeah, Ricky Starks defeats Chris Jericho. What'd you think? That was a good match. It, it was a great opener. Like, these two had a great match. They got something big planned for Ricky Starks. Like, and beat Jericho tonight. I feel like they got something big planned for him in the future. Right. But I think we're also going on a story of Jericho's in a losing streak right now. I think that's another thing we might be doing, a Jericho losing streak storyline. After the match, the rest of the Jericho Appreciation Society finally came and hit the ring when Action Andretti would hit the ring as well with a chair to clean house. Timelo and Anna Jay took the chair away from Andretti and hit a low blow as the rest of the JAS put the boots to him. Menard and Parker set up a table at ringside and Hager powerbombed Starks off the apron right through it. Again, Kind of odd that they came out afterwards and weren't there throughout the entire match, but whatever. It all worked out in the end. <laughs> then we had another one of these weird hangman promos just saying the weirdest ass stuff. Tony Schiavone welcomes us back from a break and introduces Adam Hangman Page. Schiavone mentions the John Moxley challenge to Page for next week in the LA Forum, or actually technically now it's the Kia Forum. And Page says, as of today... He's still not medically cleared, but he has a doctor's visit once he gets home to check his brain. And if all goes well, he will be cleared or could be cleared by next week, which it's like, don't play dumb with us. We know he's cleared because he wouldn't have been able to be allowed to brawl with Moxley two or three times already. Like, don't play dumb with us. We know he's already freaking cleared. I hate when they do this stuff. They do the whole... 
fake injury thing or you're not cleared injury thing more than WWE does. WWE doesn't do many that I can remember of, or at least recently, fake injury things as far as, oh, you're out for a long time because da 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 but keep playing it up on TV. Like, with um, Riddle, they use the fake injury to write him off. That's what WWE usually does. Fake injuries are to write somebody off, not to keep playing them up on television. And, I mean, if he hadn't have done the, the brawls with Moxley, I'd have no problem with him saying, oh, I'm not cleared yet. Oh, I'm not cleared yet. Maybe I can get cleared by next week. Everything's looking better. But it's because he's done those brawls, it's just like, come on, we're not that stupid. So he's talking about all these different things and then says, once I get cleared, I'm going to face John Moxley next week and I'm going to knock his dick in the dirt. And I'm like, Knock his, you really just said that on national cable television? Knock his dick in the dirt? Okay. That's a weird line. In no sense. No, it didn't. I have no clue what that means. If anybody in the live chat knows what knock your dick in the, hold on, let me see. Is that an actual phrase? I'm going to Google this right now and see what comes up. Hopefully I don't get no porn. We're not going to show it. Knock your dick in the dirt. Let's see what comes up when I Google that. So it's a line from Breakfast Club. Really? It's a line from The Breakfast Club. And then there's also a Sammy Hagar song called Dick in the Dirt. But apparently there's a line from the movie The Breakfast Club that some guy goes, I'm going to knock your dick in the dirt. I don't know if I've ever seen Breakfast Club or not. So, Yeah. I guess it's well, since I've seen it. I guess it is a pop culture reference, I guess. Who knows? <clears throat> I know that movie was huge back in the day, so cool. To people that don't know it based off the movie, it just sounds like the weirdest ass line ever. So this prompts Moxley to come out, who was surprised Paige was even here tonight. He said he's sick of the sympathy card. As the crowd chanted that they couldn't hear him with his mic not really working. Moxley dropped a couple F-bombs, said, go Seahawks, and got the crowd back on track like a pro. Man, that must have hurt. A Cincinnati Bengals fan yelling, go Seahawks. Ooh, buddy. Moxley mentions Paige being mad at him for knocking him out, which Paige took the mic and said he's not mad about that. It's how Moxley called him out, making him a joke when this was something that happened it's like yeah you knocked me out not like you were trying to knock me out it just happened and now you're making me making the fans or trying to make the fans think that i'm weak for it he said that moxley was threatened by him hence all the shots and all the the jabs he said he has two in the chamber they both got moxley's name on them and he's taken that one at least one shot next week in the forum moxley said that Paige's punk ass doesn't belong in the ring with him next week but he'll make sure that Paige doesn't get back up if he does. I thought in the end, the the heat that they got and the hype for this match, it's going to be a good match. I'm not saying it's not. I'm just not a big fan of the build of, oh, I can't wrestle because my concussion, but I can brawl with you. No. Thoughts? I think John Moxley actually gives a crap for injuring Hangman. Yeah. I don't think, I think he'd be sympathetic about it. Like the real Jonathan Good. I don't think he ever, yeah. I, 
don't think he wants to go out there and hurt anybody. And if he does, he'd, well, I would assume he'd feel bad about it. The character wouldn't care, no. The character John Moxley wouldn't give two shits that he injured somebody and put him out for a couple of months. But the real man, I don't, I don't I see. I think he would. He's, as a professional wrestler, you never want to actually injure somebody. Yeah. But they got a high- I mean, it'll be a fun match. Oh, yeah. It's just the build, though, is kind of weird. Mm-hmm. But they got a hype video for our main event, Samoa Joe versus Darby Allen for the TNT Championship. Uh, I think Joe at one point in this said that Darby will pay the price of his kingdom or something, or in his kingdom or whatnot. So we had world tag title match. It was the acclaimed Max Caster and Anthony Bowens defending the titles against Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal. There's nothing wrong with the match. It was fine, but just leading to a rematch on Friday. But Caster's rap included saying Karen Jarrett should say less because apparently Karen Jarrett's been going off on Twitter all week. And compared her to Skip Bayless, which, never mind, not even going to say anything. I think people misconstrued the Skip Bayless tweet from Monday, but that's a whole other thing. There's also a Dixie Carter name drop, and they stated that TNA really stands for Total Nonstop Acclaimed. So Bowens and Jarrett started off the match before Lethal got tagged in, and the pace actually quickened. Caster made the tag and mocked Jarrett with some Kurt Angle maneuvers and an ankle lock that led to a scissor me timbers on lethal as Jarrett suffered the same fate afterwards. Uh, Billy Gunn, daddy ass jumped into the ring and we got a trio Fargo strut into some scissoring. And then lethal slid outside, slapped daddy ass who got fired up to the point where the referee rejected, ejected him because he thought maybe Billy would retaliate. Jarrett and Lethal then took control until the commercial break, and Lethal missed a, to- a top rope elbow on Bowens, who fired back on Jarrett with a back suplex. Caster finally made the hot tag and cleaned house, smacking Jarrett with the backhand and wiping out Lethal with a dive to the outside. Lethal fought off Bowens' spinning slam as Jarrett knocks Caster off the top to the floor. An assisted backdrop uh, slammed, uh, backdrop slammed by Jarrett and Lethal only got a two. And then Lethal went for the figure four on Bowens. Satnam Singh threw Caster into the ring steps, and the ref ejected him. Uh, and then there was like a bunch of officials trying to pull him away because he didn't want to leave or something. Uh, Bowens blocked a lethal injection into a spinning forearm, but Jarrett hit the stroke as Lethal made the cover and got the three count, despite Bowens and his boot actually being on the ropes with Dutt which Dutt actually knocked off. So the new champions who thought they won were celebrating, but then the referees on the outside were like, no, uh uh-uh. We saw what actually happened. Restart the match. Lethal tried to go for a roll-up with his feet on the ropes, but Caster shoved them off, and Bowens got the roll-up to win the match. So basically it's like the heels win one way, they restart the match, and the baby faces just win the exact same way. They do the same thing. It's like, okay, whatever. Nothing wrong with the match. The finish was kind of just like, eh. But the I thought the work between all four men was really good. It was just a straightforward, normal-ass tag match. Jeff Jarrett did pretty well in this match. He moved around quite well. Jeff Jarrett looks phenomenal every time he's in the ring. Like, 
for as long as he's been doing it and as old as he is, he's still great. I didn't care for the finish though. Like, yeah, not. I am not a big fan of them going like, we got restarted. Like, ending wasn't like fair or anything. Right. I know they don't want their matches like end in like DQ or like, didn't like that. But like, fun. Yeah, Tony Khan's big thing is an actual finish. Tony Schiavone interviewed Jamie Hayter and Britt Baker about their match at the forum next week against Soraya. Baker and Hayter called themselves AEW Originals, and Soraya just doesn't get it. They worked their way up to the top from the bottom, while Soraya, despite being friends with Akara Shida and Tony Storm, can't make her decision on who will be her actual partner. Baker called Hayter the killer and herself the pillar, which they have a new shirt that says the killer and the pillar. Uh, this is the perfect team name for them. And there we go. They got Jungle Boy backstage. He said he never thought that he'd have someone to watch his back again after what he went through with Luchasaurus and Christian Cage. He then made the challenge of him and Hook against Big Bill and Lee Moriarty next week in his hometown of Los Angeles. And we learned later on that match was officially announced. Name that they called Jungle Boy and Hook was stupid. They called him like Jungle Hook. Yeah, they, they try to get cute with their names. Ward Joe, like, really? Come oh, yeah, that was a dumb one. Like, another one, like, Jamie Hayter really been with AEW since day one? I don't think day one, but within the first year, yes. I believe she's been there because... I'm trying to remember. I can tell you in two seconds. Jamie Hayter... Do, 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 do. Oop, that's not what I wanted to see. Jamie Hayter. When does she officially start with AEW? Jamie Hayter's first AEW match was. Let's see. Jamie Hayter in. So, no, she wasn't there from the very beginning because. Okay, here we go. So, in May of 2019, she actually worked a match against Dewdrop in NXT UK. And then didn't appear for AEW till October 23rd, 2019 on Dynamite, where she debuted losing to Britt Baker. So she came in in October, right after Dynamite started. But even earlier that year, she worked a squash match where she got beat by the former Piper Niven we now know as Dewdrop. And then I think... Because of COVID, she got, like, stuck in the UK for almost a year before she came back. Like, she worked, like, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong here, two or three matches. They got stuck in the UK because of COVID. And then eventually was brought back, like, a year later in, like, August, September, maybe, as the muscle to Britt Baker. Could be wrong on that, but I think that's, like, the, the rough timeline. I remember a lot of people were, like, stuck in the UK during that time. Right. So then we had Brian Danielson in his hometown. Well, adjacent, hometown adjacent. Home region. There's, like, four home region guys on this show against Tony Nese. Mark Sterling and Josh Woods were also at ringside. Crowd gave the hometown boy a big pop, as they always do, whether it's WWE or AEW in Seattle. 
I mean, it's the first time AEW's been in Seattle, but whenever he works Seattle shows in WWE, huge pop from the crowd. But Mark Sterling took the ref immediately, and Woods tripped up Danielson as Nice went on the attack with a running Nice for a close two. Nice chopped. Uh, Nice's chops woke up Danielson, who lifted him up with a bunch of corner kicks, a moonsault out of the corner, and a charging lariat. There were some yes kicks that connected, but Nice blocked the home run shot, and Nice drove Danielson into the corner. We've seen that a lot recently, where he goes for the kicks, hits about four or five of them, goes for that last big shot, and it gets blocked. I noticed that we've seen that a lot recently. So maybe he shouldn't go for the delay at the end and just keep hitting them and then just kick really hard instead of the ooh and then kick it. No need for the, the, the wind-up. Anyways, didn't really last long as far as Nice getting the advantage, though, because Nice missed a charging knee, and Danielson hit the Busaku knee. An amped-up Danielson stomped away at the head of Tony Nice, sank in the regal stretch, and Nice was just out cold, and the ref called the match. There we go. Not much to it, but it was all right. It's just to try to, like, hype up Danielson against MJF. Yeah, he's just going to get a bunch of wins till Revolution. Which, speaking of Revolution, there's a post-match angle. So after the match, Danielson said that it's great to be home, and he's feeling a little froggy and wants to fight again, so he calls out MJF, who walks out on the stage and calls Brian brain-damaged and a mark, declining the challenge to fight right now. MJF is a special attraction who doesn't just wrestle whenever someone wants him to. He said if Lance Storm and Dean Malenko could have a child, he'd be more charismatic than you. And if you don't get the joke, a lot of people always said that Lance Storm and Dean Malenko, great professional wrestlers as far as like in the ring can do anything, but lacking on the microphone and, and promo-wise. MJF says that he wouldn't be surprised if Danielson's mother in 1981 opted for a goat instead of a human suitor. Going back to uh, WWE jokes there. Danielson says that the boys in the back talk about how many suitors MJF's mother has had. Even folks in the crowd said that they've been as well. MJF said that the title around his waist is what makes him the best in the world and runs down all the marks who's never wrestled. Starts yelling at people in the crowd. MJF said... Guys in this business like Disco Inferno, Eric Bischoff, and Jim Cornette have called him the best in the world. Danielson said, it's time to fight then. He hates MJF, who scurries away. And Tony Schiavone uh, pleaded, give him the hook. MJF said that if he wants a title shot, then Danielson must become the number one contender. And if Danielson can wrestle every week from now to February and win all those matches, then he will be considered the new number one contender and, well, he'll get a title shot on on March 5th at Revolution. Danielson goes, all right, I'll meet your stipulations. But I got some of my own. MJF then snapped and said, Tony Khan, nor the EVPs run this company. He does. And Danielson's like, okay, well, I'll adhere to you. If you'll adhere to me, I'll pick the stipulation for our match. And MJF's like, fine. Sure, what do you want? And he's like, you say you're the best in the world, the greatest pro wrestler there is. Well, there's no better challenge to a pro wrestler to prove themselves, and that I knew exactly where he was going after that line, than a 60-minute Iron Man match. Danielson said he's going to run through everyone and then, and then put MJF right on the front line and expose him. 
in that match. MGF kind of hesitates for a second and then goes, you know what? Fine. I'll take your challenge if you can win by fe- uh, win all your matches by February 8th. So there we go. It's basically all set. We will be getting a Iron Man match at Revolution. What do you think? I'm honestly kind of tired of like the same thing in every like MJF storyline. Like, yep. you've got to beat my people to get to me. So like, who do you think it's going to be? Is it going to be the firm? He doesn't have the pinnacle. So is it going to be the firm or is he going to bring in some other guys? Because I know when they did the, the Jericho one like this, he had to beat some guys at the pinnacle and then he brought some other guys in like Nick Gage and Juventud Guerrera. So I'm interested to see because till, till February 8th, that means he's going to have to do one, two, three, four, five matches, which again, the five labors, but I have no clue who it's going to be. Maybe one's Big Bill. Maybe he has the form. I was thinking if you go through the, maybe go through the, um, the firm, but here, I mean, he already beat Ethan Page, so that's one. Then they got Big Bill, they got Lee Moriarty, so I'm not sure. Probably just going to, my guess is it'll probably just be a bunch of, like, random heels that AEW hasn't used in a while, and it's like, all right, let's just put him against Danielson. Right, and I mean, if we go and look at their roster really fast, and then, and even looking at the rosters, not the right way to go, because as we know from the past, they'll even bring in guys not on the roster for this, but... If we look at the AEW roster and some of the viable heels they can use, maybe Brian Cage. Um, I was thinking maybe Lance Archer. That wouldn't be a bad one. Uh, Lance Archer. Maybe Luchasaurus. Haven't wrestled the big man. What's going on with him? Nothing really. After the, he hasn't done anything since the Jungle Boy stuff. At least that I can, oh, well, no, I can't say he hasn't done anything. Because he did have that triple threat for the All-Atlantic title on Rampage a few weeks ago. Uh, maybe they have him fight Nick Camarado. Uh, I'm just trying to look at all the heels. Powerhouse Hobbs. That's about it on the male side for heels that would make sense because I would think they'd want to put like guys bigger than him because I couldn't now I'm trying to think is there anybody still wrestling now from his past that they can bring in because I know with like Jericho they brought in Hoovy because that's one of his bigger opponents from his past but I'm trying to think from like his ring of honor days and stuff but I can't really think of I don't think there's really anybody from WWE that he wrestled and had big matches with that's available not already in AEW because I mean if he wasn't doing his own thing um, I mean they still could Jericho because his literally first televised WWE match was against Jericho well, that's a big match and a big you know rematch from his past they can be like you oh, ever fight or, you ever fight Davey Richards in Ring of Honor Good question. Probably. I'm looking it up, though. That wouldn't be a bad option. I don't know if he... Is he a heel? I mean, I don't think it matters with that. Hey, AEW brought in Mercy Machine Guns as heels when they're actually baby faces. That's true. Uh, these two had a match in 
Full Impact Pro in 2006. And then they also had a Ring of Honor match that was like on Danielson's farewell ROH tour. So yeah, they faced off a few times in the past. I mean, that wouldn't be a bad match. Danielson and Davey Richards. He's still around. So had a video package. Basically hyping up Battle of the Belts where it's going to be Orange Cassidy defending the All-Atlantic Championship against Kip Sabian. Well then, we got the rematch from probably one of the most talked about Lucha Underground matches of all time. Swerve Strickland and AR Fox. Like, if you never saw their original match from Lucha Underground, holy crap. Go watch Killshot versus Dante Fox. That match is legendary. I'm, yeah, I can't even do it justice talking about it, but I haven't seen it in a while. But that match, just one of the most talked about and probably greatest matches that ever happened in Lucha Underground. Bill Scalibur mentions that these two have history and did mention Lucha Underground. And then, as Swerve was on the apron, AR Fox kind of like runs at him up against the ropes, does a front flip over the ropes, lands on the apron, where at the same time, Swerve does a backflip off the apron onto the floor. Then they go back into it for a minute in the ring. Uh, Fox does a pump kick and a vaulting moonsault off or out of the corner. Swerve's legs get sweeped, and then there was a slingshot corkscrew, brain buster that got Fox a near fall. It was a corner clothesline from Fox, who tried to skin the cat, but Taz... Uh, said something about painted uh, painted face henchmen or something like that. Swerve then. I think he was talking about the... I, don't, I always forget his name. The the guy with with Swerve with all the tattoos. The painted face man henchmen is what he called them. Swerve then took a nasty pump kick off the apron to the outside as we went to a commercial break. Uh, back from the break, Swerve missed a discus lariat as Fox countered with a kip-up in Zaguri. Fox looked for a somersault cutter, but Swerve countered into a German suplex and a flatliner for a two. Swerve nearly crotched Fox out of the corner, but Fox flipped out into a short cutter and an icono, uh, icono slam into another cutter. Fox then hit a picture-perfect 450 splash and got a near fall off of it. Parker Bordeaux then snuck a weapon to Swerve, who cracked Fox in the corner while the tattooed henchman had the referee distracted. Swerve then hit a gnarly Death Valley driver off the second rope onto the apron and a Swerve stomp to pick up the victory. Swerve's from the Seattle area, so I knew Swerve was going to get the win. Like, it was obvious. And Excalibur said, uh, he uh, said that uh, something about the kill shot there at the end, which that was Swerve's name in Lucha Underground. I thought this was a really good match. These two guys work pretty well together. It's only a matter of time when, like, Keith Lee returns. I mean, I don't know when he's going to return. But it's going to be interesting to see where this whole thing goes. Yeah, I mean, it's got to lead to a big swerve-Keith Lee match, but maybe they make Keith Lee wrestle Parker first or something. I don't know. It would be cool, though. They, so, 
don't know when like Ring of Honor is going to be on television. If if they like do like bring Shane Taylor promotions on Ring of Honor television, yeah, Keith Lee go back down there and trying to recruit Shane Taylor to help him fight Swerve and his people. That wouldn't be a bad idea at all. So then we got a, I guess you can call it odd, interesting segment backstage. It was Renee Paquette with Soraya, Tony Storm, and Hikaru Shida. Soraya said that she's not surprised by what Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter have been saying. Soraya said <clears throat> that she's happy they've been trending every week as far as people wanting to know who her tag team partner is going to be. And Renee's like, yeah, who is your partner going to be? Soraya said, that since coming to AEW, she's learned that AEW's got the best women in the world. AEW puts on the best matches in the world, and she wants the best tag team partner she can have. She then looks back and forth. She's got Sheeta on this side. She's got Tony Storm on this side, and then says, and next week, my partner is going to be Tony Storm. She then goes, and I got an idea. I got a plan. You know, we can do this and that, and Sheeta's kind of like, what? And Renee looks over at Sheeta. And they just, like, ignore Sheeta completely. Like, what the hell is this? Sheeta would then send out a tweet that stated, What the F is this? I have no clue where this is leading to. So, later in the show, because this all plays together, they did show the graphic. Rip Baker and Jamie Hayter against Soraya and Tony Storm. So for all you people on Twitter, because trust me, my mentions were blowing up about this. Oh, it's a swerve. Oh, they just want you to think it's Tony Storm, but it's really going to be Mercedes. Oh, it's not really Tony Storm. It's not going to be Tony Storm by next week. Really? What? Tony, Tony Khan's really going to make the have the graphic on television and then not deliver the advertised match? Something's going to happen? What? Britain. I mean, they've kind of done this before. Britt and Jamie are going to attack Tony where she can't compete. Then what? You still got Sheeta. Sheeta could be the partner. Maybe Sheeta goes, and eh, now you disrespected me last week. I don't want to team with you. And then they bring in somebody else. I don't know. I don't know. But if it is just going to end up being Tony Storm, not that Tony Storm's not great, but they hyped this up like it's going to be somebody big, like bigger than already on the roster. And I know they never said Mercedes, but people kind of just assumed it's Mercedes. And then some some guy from DAZN said that he heard it's going to be Mercedes. So I don't well, Let me find that really fast because I need to read this tweet really quick. Um, and, and unlike other websites claiming that this means. So before I read this tweet, this tweet says nowhere that Mercedes Monet has signed with AEW. But I've seen two or three different websites Right, Mercedes Monet signs with AEW, or reportedly signs. But the tweet from, the tweet been pulled? Here we go. Stephen Mulhausen of DAZN states, Sources, Mercedes Vernado will be Soraya's partner next week in AEW Dynamite in Los Angeles against Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter. Couldn't announce or make a major hint due to her being still or being still under contract to WWE until the beginning of 2023. But then they announce Tony Storm on the show. Now, again, nowhere in this does he say that Mercedes signed with AEW, just that his sources told him that 
she's the partner, which they don't have to sign her for her to be the partner yet. They said Tony, so I don't know what the hell this is all going to be. Maybe Sheeta ends up attack. I don't attacking and taking out Tony, and then she needs somebody else. Now I'm trying to think too much into it, but we got a week to figure out if this is exactly the way they go. I just don't see Tony Khan announcing it and showing the graphic on television and not delivering the match as advertised. But what did you think of the segment and the announcement? Thought it was it was kind of a letdown a little bit because of like how much they were like hyping this up. It's like they were kind of like hyping it up to like and like bring in someone new to the company. Right. And mm. I thought it was kind of ridiculous when people on Twitter kept saying, oh, it's going to be Mercedes. Give us Mercedes. Like, no. It's, I don't think it was going to be Mercedes. I knew it wasn't going to be her. I mean, it, I mean I've mean, i never ruled it Could out. Be, but I never ruled it out 100%. But I never, like, was all these, was, like, these people online going, it's got to be her. It's got to be her. You know. But, because, like, I'll read some of the comments I got when I tweeted about this earlier. Because I tweeted out, I said, so Soraya's partner is just Tony Storm? Also, what's with the shade thrown to Sheeta? And then I had people tweet at me going, I call it misdirection. And it works as a way to set up Sheeta slash Tony. And also paves the way for Mercedes to show up. Why? They've never once teased Mercedes. Why would you think Mercedes? You know? They, at least when they did the CM Punk teases with Darby, he said, I want to challenge a man that calls himself the best in the world. Well, who before, you know, Shane McMahon won that best in the world tournament had the nickname best in the world, CM Punk. That's the big tease. They didn't do anything like that as far as in AEW making you think it could have been Mercedes. Like they didn't say, Oh, I'm bringing the blueprint in for my partner. I'm bringing in the standard. I'm bringing in the boss. I'm bringing in a CEO. You know, they never said anything. And Fightful even had a report that I'm going to read right here that was different. Apparently things may have been changed or they got the wrong information, but Fightful reported, quote, Fightful was told as of this afternoon, Soraya's mystery partner wasn't actually set to be revealed on tonight's AEW Dynamite. However, we were told that a promo from her or Brit would make it pretty evident. Actually, that's a change to when he, what he originally wrote. Anyways, as with anything, things can change, especially something of this nature. Now, hold on. I think that's a change from when I first saw. Hold on. Let me see something really fast. Yeah, that's actually what I just read a change into what Sean Ross Sapp originally wrote. Cause when he, cause he originally wrote, um, we were told that a promo from her would make it pretty evident. Then he went in and corrected and stated a promo from her or Brit would make it pretty evident. And then, well, neither made it pretty evident. Soraya just said it's Tony storm. So either he was getting wrong info or things were getting changed and then eventually fully got changed. I don't know exactly what's going on with that, but it's Tony Storm as of right now, which we're supposed to believe. We got some hype for next week's ladder match, the final match at the best of seven. I mean, the match is going to be phenomenal, but everyone's just going to be sitting there 
every time Phoenix or Penta or Pat go for that titles, every time they climb up and they almost get it and they almost get it. I mean, the live crowd's probably going to be into it, but us sitting at home are just going to be like, well, they're not winning. Like, it's blatantly obvious that the Young Bucks and Kenny are winning in LA next week. Do you disagree? Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> I mean, it, it's pretty obvious the Elite's winning. I mean, they relinquish the belts. And AEW is just going to go back to like, yeah, you guys were the first champions. You never lost them. So put them back on you and just what we originally had planned for you. Plus, the Bucks are from Southern California. They're in Southern California. They're going to win the titles back in front of their families. And yeah, AEW, they love doing those like hometown championship wins. We saw it tonight. Mm-hmm. So, prior to the next match starting, Tony Schiavone actually gave condolences to Dustin Rhodes, who lost his mother today, as well as Justin Roberts, whose mother has been ill, hence why he hasn't been at the shows the last couple of weeks. Excalibur also gave some condolences to the family of Don West. And before anybody asks, Dustin and Cody have a different mom. Dustin's got... So Dustin's mom... Well, Dustin's the older brother. And then Cody and his sister, Teal, I think her name is, have the same mom. Then we had a tag match. It was TBS champion Jade Cargill and Red Velvet against Sky Blue and Kira Hogan. And basically, all this match was, was to, I guess you could say, split up Jade and Red Velvet. Red Velvet, by the end of this match, she wants nothing to do with Jade. Because, I mean, Jade kind of punked her out once or twice. Jade literally walked over, and to tag her in, patted her on the head. Like, you show her more disrespect? Anyways, it was rapid fire near falls early on by Red Velvet and Sky Blue. To start off the match until uh, Kira Hogan got tagged in and hit a snap drop kick and a step up a leg drop for a two on Velvet. Sky Blue spiked Red Velvet with a DDT as Cargill made her way in and we went to a picture-in-picture break. Cargill put up a beating on Sky Blue, but Blue eventually escaped a press slam attempt and made the tag to Hogan, who was promptly flattened with an eye of the storm. Cargill trash-talked her own partner and did the whole tapper on the head, kind of pat on the head insult to tag and the ref told her it's not a legal tag and I'm like how is that not a legal tag when you can have somebody's back turned to somebody and you can just randomly reach over and slap your partner anywhere and that's a legal tag I don't get how this wasn't a legal tag anyways Hogan quickly took out Red Velvet once she tagged in with a sliding uh, corner drop kick Velvet then fell into the corner Cargill made the tag back in and laid out Sky Blue and Hogan with thrust kicks she choke slammed Hogan, but as she went to the corner, Red Velvet wasn't there. Red Velvet had bailed and started walking up the ramp. She's like, you got this. Think you're better than me. You got this. Cargo then wiped out Hogan with the pump kick and pinder to pick up the victory and go, I want to say it's 47 and 0. Layla Gray jumps in the ring to celebrate with her. Red Velvet's basically on the ramp going, see, you didn't need my help. Do what you do. Do what you do. And Jade's kind of like, oh, is that how it's going to be? That's how it's going to be. And then they cut. Cut to commercial or whatever. So, eh, it was all right. It's just, I think in the end, everyone's going to turn on Jade. But it would kind of be cool 
if Red Velvet ends up being the one to beat Jade for the belt, because if you remember, Jade's first match was with Red Velvet. She teamed with Shaq against Cody and Red Velvet. So what if we go all the way back to the beginning and Red Velvet's the one that beats her for the belt once she hits 50? Maybe she hits 50-0 and 0 and then loses, or she's at 49-0 and 0, thinking, oh, I've beat Red Velvet before. I can beat her to go 50-0, and 0, and Red Velvet gets that big surprise win. I mean, I wouldn't be against it. I've always said that whoever beats Jade, it needs to be someone who, like, benefits from it. Right. Like, you know, I've always said in the past, like, Statlander should be the one. Well, Chris Statlander is injured, and she's going to be out for a while. So, if they want Jade to lose the belt soon, I'd say the next best thing is Red Velvet. Yeah. Maybe they... So, Jade's 47-0. to know. So if she goes to 50 before she loses, she needs three more matches. If she goes to 49, she needs two more matches. They can easily do that in the next couple of weeks. Maybe even just have her go 50-0 and 0, and then Red Velvet challenger for the TBS title at the pay-per-view in March, March 5th. That'd not be a bad idea. Wouldn't be against it. So then we had pretty awesome main event that I thought wasn't even going to freaking get past the first 30 seconds when I thought Darby blew his knee out. So Darby Allen challenges Samoa Joe for the AEW title. And as Darby's going to the ring, he sees Nick Wayne and some other people he knows because he's from the area in the front row, and he goes and hugs Nick Wayne, Nick Wayne and whatnot. And then Joe comes out. Joe goes over and basically tries to attack or get in the face of and assault 17-year-old Nick Wayne. And I'm like, okay. I get it, but it's like Nick Wayne, he's a wrestler. He's fought all kinds of guys already. So it's like Darby's got to stand up for this guy that's had some freaking great banger matches. It's kind of like what that reminded me of was that Rey Mysterio, Brock Lesnar uh, segment where Brock went over and like, punked out Dominic and then tried to attack Dominic and then Ray tried to save his son and this it, it reminded me of that anyways they mentioned that um Nick Wayne is the son of Buddy Wayne and he's on a quote AEW futures contract you don't know what that means it means that basically Tony Khan has already signed Nick Wayne to an AEW deal that way no one else can sign him up and once he turns 18 he can legally start working for the company I don't know why they got to wait till he's 18 I mean he's worked Plenty of indies and stuff. So I guess certain states you got to be 18 to work because like New York, he got pulled from that big GCW show and stuff. But you're going to say something? The same thing for Brody Lee's son, I believe. Well, yeah, but he's still got like another eight, nine years before he could do anything. Another like that this reminded me of thinking Money in the Bank 2017, I believe. It was the Singh brothers. They were going to attack Randy Orton's dad, and Randy Orton had to save his dad from the Singh brothers. Yeah, that's another similar thing. I see when Nick is Nick Wayne going to be 18 this year in 2020. Well, I assume. I don't think his birthday's in January. I think he turns 18 this year. But basically, what Tony Khan said is, once you're 18 and you graduate high school, then you will be full time AEW. So I think that was his whole thing. He, because Nick Wayne's only you know worked weekend shows and stuff. He has 
dipped out of school plenty of times. We've heard all the stories and in interviews and whatnot. But um, I think that was Tony Khan's whole thing. He doesn't want him missing a lot of time in school to come work for him. So once he's done with that and graduates and all that, he can be full-time on the roster. As far as this match does go, Darby goes to try to save Nick Wayne, and he hits Joe with the skateboard, but not the flat back part where the grip tape is, which still would hurt, but with the goddamn wheels of the the, uh, skateboard. Brawl on the ramp. Joe gets knocked off the ramp at one point, or knocked down on the ramp. I think he, like, slips off or whatever. And all of a sudden, Darby grabs, like, a 20-foot ladder. Darby climbs to the top of the ladder. The bell has not rung. These two men have not been in the ring yet. Nothing is official. Darby climbs to the top of this ladder and does a somersault dive onto Samoa Joe, kind of misses Joe a little, and tweaks his knee in the process and is limping pretty bad. But then eventually just shrugs it off. And I'm he's the way he was limping and almost couldn't get, seemed like he couldn't get up at first. I'm like, oh no. Oh no. But he was fine. Presumably. It looked fine. Eventually both men get in the ring and the match begins. So as Joe went uh back to the outside quickly, Joe hit a brutal slam to Darby on the steel steps. There's a similar to their first match a few weeks ago where Joe chucked Allen into the steps and the post while on the apron, and then Allen went spinning to the floor. Joe continued to beat Allen down before Allen got a desperate rear naked choke on, and Joe fell with all of his weight onto Darby, breaking it all up. Joe crossed up Allen's legs and hit a double knee breaker in a very cool-looking spot. Joe hit a running senton to the leg and slapped on a half crab. Joe would then attempt to go for the muscle buster, but Darby would slide out and go for a roll-up as Joe countered into a rear naked choke kicking clutch. Which, Darby actually tried to counter into a pin and did get a two off of it. As this all happened, Joe pulled off the corner buckle pad. Allen tried to float over a stunner, or hit a float over stunner, and then fell right into a rear naked choke. Allen then hit his chest just like Sting normally does, ran Joe headfirst into the exposed buckle, hit a code red, multiple coffin drops, eventually landed on Joe, went for the pin, and picked up the victory. Confetti flew, Sting came down, and he lifted Darby Allen up as they celebrated, and the show went off the air with the hometown boy picking up the win. What'd you think? That was a cool match. I had no problem with Darby winning. No. And Joe had to lose the TNT belt anyway, so... So, great main event. Honestly, I have, oh, no, honestly, I have no clue when he's losing the TV title or who he's going to drop it to. Well, as I of, guess we still have time. As of right now, I don't even know of any Ring of Honor tapings or plans right now. Like, like you noted earlier, what are they doing with Ring of Honor? They said, wait till after Wrestle Kingdom. Well, they didn't say anything at Wrestle Kingdom. They didn't say anything today. They do have the... um. What's it called? The New Year's Dash tonight. Maybe they announced something there, a partnership with... Because I know there's people online saying maybe they do a partnership where it's like a Ring of Honor slash... um, What's it called? New Japan Strong Show on Honor Club or something. Or it'll air on Honor Club and New Japan World. So we'll see what they announce. But they said that whatever they're doing for their weekly show, which will be on Honor Club, will incorporate some New Japan. Now, 
Speaking of things in the future, we got some stuff announced. Rampage. Brian Danielson and John Moxley will take on top, top flight Darius Martin and Dante Martin. We will hear from the House of Black. Pero Pelagroso, the former 10, Preston Vance, will be in action. And the AW Women's Champion Jamie Hayter will team up with Dr. Rip Baker to take on the Renegade Twins, Charlotte and Robin. As far as Battle of the Belts does go, the Acclaimed. Also, hold on. I got to mention this. So when they were mentioning all this stuff earlier, they, they announced the match is the Acclaimed defending the tag titles against Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal in a no-holds-barred match. And for some reason, I don't know if this was on purpose or by accident, Renee was stuttering and slipping on her words. And so off mic, you just hear Jeff Jarrett perfectly yell, Let it out, Renee! I died laughing. But that match will be happening. It's a no-holes-barred no match. Jade Cargill will defend the TBS Championship against Sky Blue. And Orange Cassidy will be defending the All-Atlantic Championship against Kip Sabian. As far as next week's AEW Dynamite from Los Angeles, we got Match 7 in the Best of 7 series for the AEW Trios Championships. It's the Death Triangle against the Elite in an Escalara de la Muerte's ladder match. Soraya, along with Tony Storm, will be taking on the team of AEW Women's Champion Jamie Hayter and Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. Brian Danielson will have a match against Kanosuke Takeshita. Jungle Boy will team up with Hook to take on Lee Moriarty and Big Bill. And John Moxley will take on Hangman Adam Page. Now, again, stupid-ass shit for the build on this. They didn't say, because Hangman said in his promo, I got a brain scan when I get home, and if I clear that brain scan, then I'm cleared for next week. They didn't say John Moxley against Hangman if he's cleared. They literally said John Moxley versus Hangman next week. So, consistency. Yes, sons of bitches. Anyways, any closing thoughts on the show? Could be wrong, but I feel like we forgot to mention something. Which is? The gun club segment. You're right. I completely stood right over that whole thing. You are completely right, because that was a nothing-happening-stupid segment. I got it right here. Um, I got it here in my notes. So this was right after the Soraya segment backstage. The Soraya, Tony Storm, Sheeta segment. So the gun club come out, and they're basically laying to rest the FTR. They're saying FTR are basically dead. Their time in AEW has come and gone. And they show like tombstones on the screen, and this says FTR, rest in peace, May 27, 2022, December 21, 20, or May 27, 2020, December 21, 2022. Austin Gunn said that this is to pay tribute to FTR's legacy. Colton said that FTR once held all the titles, except the AEW title recently, and they had 10 stars in their hearts. Tony Schiavone popped Taz as he said that Austin, uh, he, he apparently told Austin Gunn to email his words written instead of cutting a promo. I, yeah, I didn't kind of. I, I guess basically, Tony Schiavone thought Austin Gunn's promo wasn't good during this, and so he's like, maybe you should write it out. Anyways, the Gunn said that they destroyed the ten-year legacy in about ten minutes. When they beat FTR, FTR went downhill and couldn't recover. All of a sudden, FTR's music would hit, and Excalibur on commentary goes. No way! There's no way they can be here! They wrestled last night for New Japan! And of course, FTR didn't come out. Uh, the guns said, They are the new living legends of AEW. Top guns out. So there we go. Kind of a nothing segment. Or 
I feel like FTR is going to come back next week and they're just going to brawl or something. They're going to beat him up backstage or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's whatever. We, we all kind of knew FTR wasn't going to show up. So. Well, yeah, unless they got like a super, super red eye flight. Because what's, well, let me see. Tokyo, Japan to Seattle, Washington. Flights from Tokyo to Seattle. That is a. So if they left, say, February, say if they left like right after their match last night. January 4th. Come on, why won't it give me January 4th on this? Oh, see, I can't even look at it anyways. But it is a, I'm trying to see how many hours that flight is. Um, It is a roughly... Eighteen-hour flight from Tokyo to Seattle, with one stop in Hawaii, depending on who you go with. So, well, I mean, you a well, I've never heard of this airline. ANA United can do it in nine hours, and Delta can do it in nine hours nonstop. That's a two thousand dollar flight. Jeez. So yeah, I mean there it was very possible, but I don't know because I know Dax barely arrived in time before like the show started. Like he got there like like an maybe an hour before they needed to the 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 word was that Dax got to the building like an hour before the show began. I don't know why he was so late, but yeah. It's whatever. They're eventually going to beat the guns. And then the guns, I think the guns even mentioned, you'll never see FTR here again. They're, they're signed till July. So we will. But with that, that's everything that we thought regarding tonight's AEW Dynamite. Remember, if you want to be part of the show, you can do so by texting in to 510-906-1341. Again, that's 510-906-1341. 41. Before we get into all of that, though, we got to check the polls. Let's check all these polls really fast as far as the Twitch poll does go. 54% liked the show. 31% thought it was just all right. And 15% didn't like tonight's Dynamite. As far as the Twitter poll does go. 73% liked the show, 19% thought it was just all right, and 7% didn't like Dynamite. And finally, YouTube poll, 69% liked it, 20% thought it was just all right, and 11% didn't like the show. As far as some of the comments do go, it says, man, I'm so happy for Darby. Another person says, excellent show, love the new set. Not a big fan of the new set myself, but... To each their own. Or says, uh, new red and blue kind of reminds me of Raw and SmackDown lighting. Nah, not really. Uh, this person says, just let us know when your video game is coming out. <laughs> you just want that fight forever announcement. Uh, another one says, great show, great way to start 2023. And this one says, Sasha Banks already signed, reportedly already signed with AEW. No, she didn't. 
And if she did, that's not what the report from Stephen, whatever his name is. People do not know how to read. Because he never said Sasha Banks, Mercedes Marnado, Mercedes Monet signed. He just said that his source told us she'd be the tag partner. Nowhere in... Oh, I'm going to pull this tweet up on the goddamn screen. Look at freaking idiots. I'm just saying it right now. People can't read. People can't read. Where's that tweet? Because he said... I'm going to pull this tweet up right here. On the screen. I'm going to show you this tweet. Verbatim. And then you guys can tell me, where the hell does it say that she signed? Go here. Here. It says, Sources. Mercedes Vernado will be Soraya's partner next week in AEW Dynamite in LA against Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter. Couldn't announce or make a major hint due to her being still under contract to WWE until beginning of 2023. Where the hell does it say she signed? Think about it. It's not WWE where they're not going to put somebody in a prominent match if they don't sign. It's AEW. We see people in prominent matches not signed to the company. I wouldn't say a lot. But we've seen it a number of times, so nobody said she's signed. This tweet from Stephen Mulhausen does not say she's signed. And they announced Tony Storm. Anyway, as far as text messages do go, it says, who's the next challenger for the AW World title? Did you not watch the show? It's freaking Brian Danielson. Have you not watched the show for the last three weeks? It's Brian freaking Danielson. This person says, do you think Bobby Fish will return to AEW or show up in the Rumble? I don't see him in the Royal Rumble, but I could see him going back to WWE. Maybe working as a coach for NXT, like a coach player. I always thought that him going back to WWE and them making him and Roderick Strong a tag team would be great. This person says, I love tonight's episode of Dynamite, and it was so better to watch live in person. Well, that's awesome that you have to be there live in person. And this one says, bum, bum, bum. do you think there's a good chance FTR returns to WWE? I don't know. I honestly don't know. They're still stuck with AEW till at least July. And we'll see where it goes from there. I know Triple H is big FTR guys. They really like Triple H. So it's very possible. I would never rule it out, especially with Triple H now being in charge. And... Their whole thing of wanting to leave WWE was they never thought that Vince would do anything good with the tag division. So maybe they could have more faith in Triple H doing good with the tag division. But with that, guys, that's it. That's all we got. That's everything we got to say about tonight's AEW Dynamite. With that, thank you for joining us here at twitch.tv forward slash Unlimited. Or if you're watching or listening later, whether that's youtube.com forward slash Pro Wrestling Unlimited or podcast services all around the globe like Stitcher, Spotify, Google Pod, Apple Pod, Anchor, iHeartRadio, and so much more. Luke, tell them where they can find you. You can find me over at Twitter at Petke underscore 21. And you can also find me over at Twitch at TheLukePetke. With that, guys, we'll be back live Friday morning for the wrestling wrap-up and then Friday evening. Friday night Smackdown so with that have a great rest of your Wednesday have a great night we'll see you next time have a good one guys